One of our missionaries, I told you last week, the family, their house caught fire, but they, this, they are doing well. And it's through our prayers that they are going. And then last week I received uh, uh, the news and talking to the pastor of our Navajo tribe in Arizona, Pastor Sosi, has suffered a slight stroke. He is back in business, and the devil, he said, is not going to hold me down, and that is prayer. But I'm asking you, not only give, and I'm going to ask you to give today to our missions, but the important thing that you can do is pray. So as we collect our tithes and offerings, the ushers will come forward. I want to pray for the offering and I know that you are faithful to give your 10% your tithe, and as well, you throw in a little extra for missions today. God will bless you abundantly. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We trust you with our health. We trust you in time of need, Father, and we trust you, Father, with our giving. We know, Father, we are giving out of trust, and out of obedience, Lord, because you have promised to bless us. Father, if you don't bless me one bit more in my entire life, I have been blessed abundantly, and I will forever give you thanks, and I forever will be obedient to give to you. Father, bless the giver as they prepare their offerings, and Father, bless those that for whatsoever reason they're unable to give, Bless them so that next week they will be able to participate in this worship of giving. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are an active church here at Bethel. And one of the things we do best, let me repeat, one of the things that we do best here at Bethel is worship. And we have an opportunity to just dedicate an evening of just basking in the presence of God in worship. Our worship leader, Matt, and the worship team have put together a program for us, a list of songs that we can gather around the altar and turn the lights low, and then you can roam around the altar, dance before the, the Lord, run around, and, and worship. So mark your calendars. March the 12th, that's Saturday. That's in six days. Mark your calendars. Be here beginning at 6 p.m. No, be here at 5.45 so you can unload your stress and be ready to enter into worship. Also, we have this awesome gathering. Did you know that uh, Pastor Mike is, is the regional director for the southeast region of the fellowship? that we are a part of. And we're joining forces with another uh, district and coming together for a regional uh, conference service. It's gonna be awesome. There's gonna be some awesome speakers and there's gonna be some awesome worship. So plan to be there if you can. Um, it's from uh, April 18th to the 21st. On that, I have some good news and some bad news. The bad news is the bus is not going. It's, it's not, it's not going to make the trip. The good news is, or the, 
the good news is the bus is not going because it's a long ride to sit in a seat. So if you want uh, transportation, you can fly there, see Michael, and he will give you the details. And, and if you, there's several cars going, if, and if you want to hitch a ride with them, they'll, I'm sure they'll uh, like the, the help with the gas bill. I passed the gas station this morning. It's three ninety nine a gallon. My goodness. So please plan to be there. And uh, right before we enter into our sermon, this is not part of my duties, but I felt compelled to do it. Because isn't Brother Larry doing a wonderful job with these sermons on the Ten Commandments? So let's pray. Because he has a special sermon for us today that he shared a little bit. It's going to be powerful. Let's pray for him. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for a double portion upon our brother Larry, our pastor Larry, Lord, as he comes to divide the word. Fill him with your anointing, Father. Fill him with your Holy Spirit. And not only that, give us ears to listen, Father. Anoint our ears to receive what he has in store for us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Good morning. I've had no less than three Carolina fans already come up and talk about that game last night. And I just want you to know the altar is going to be open at the end of this. So you can come up here and repent about it. So, uh, no, I know everybody got some people that's tired. Sister Kay said, ah, she's so keyed up she couldn't even go to sleep last night. So hopefully your hearts will still be uh, prepared to receive the word of God. Hopefully the worship got you back into the spirit and out of the ball game this morning. Um, I do want to do something we don't, hadn't done in a while. I, I want to take about, pastor says take a minute and three seconds. I'm going to give you two minutes. Greet someone around you. Say hello. And, uh, but don't say anything about that ball game. Just, just take a couple minutes of fellowship. Okay. Honestly, it blesses me just to sit back and watch that. There's nothing like the fellowship of the saints. And so it's been a while since we've done that, and I just want to give an opportunity. I know sometimes it's hard to start service because everybody's hadn't, we hadn't seen each other all week, and we're trying to catch up, and so I just wanted to give a couple, couple minutes to do that. Um, we, we, as Pastor Dan said, we are going to continue with the study in the Ten Commandments. And uh, last week I said, you know, that they were always trying to trip Jesus up. And they asked him, they said, what's the greatest commandment? And he, he narrowed the, all those ten down into two. And he said, the first one is to Lord, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. And what he had done there, he had incorporated the first four commandments, having no other gods before him, not making an idol, not taking his name in vain, and remembering the Sabbath, which is what we dealt with last week. And what they dealt with, they dealt with man's relationship to God, God's relationship to man. And I shared with you last, last week that if you'll get that relationship straight first, because that's where it all flows from. These next six are about man's relationship to man. And Jesus said, you'll love your neighbor as yourself. But if we'll go get this relationship right, you'll find those other relationships sure do go a whole lot better. They won't be perfect because we're sinful, but they sure will go a whole lot better. 
And so we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to transition into man's relationship with man. And if you have your Bibles or your smartphones or your devices, if you want to look at Exodus 20 and 12. Now, we're going to skip. So we're going to look at the uh, fifth commandment and the seventh commandment. So what I have chosen to do is take the the fifth commandment and the seventh commandment and, and combine them under the title of God's design for the family. So first, let's read Exodus 20 and 12. This is the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord, your God, is giving you. And then the seventh commandment is, you shall not commit adultery. And I've taken those and I have combined them. This, as I've prepared this uh, lesson, it's been a struggle for two reasons. One, we're going to confront head-on everything that the church is under attack today. The cultural issues that's, that's swirling around the, the church all the way up to the Supreme Court center with human sexuality. That's what the battle is about. And so when you get into this, you start to face those things head on. And every single hot-button cultural issue today seems to center around human sexuality. Transgenderism is a human sexuality issue. Homosexuality is a human sexuality issue. Abortion, pornography, all the things that are attacking the church, that the people are attacking the church over, is human sexuality. And who defines it? Is God's word still true in what it says about? And I believe that it is. Because when we don't have a standard church, the, the title of this series was God's Guardrails for Joyous Living. If you don't have a guardrail, where does it end? What, who says, where does it end? How, how far does it actually go? And so that was part of the struggle in knowing that, you know, I know that there's been some places just been taken down off YouTube and all just because Pastor John MacArthur's sermon recently, just because he said there was two genders, YouTube took him down. That's incredible to me. But so be it. We have to stand on God's Word. Next is when we deal with these issues, particularly with issues of the family, the thing about being in a church and particularly a church of our size, is we get to know each other, which I think is good, because the Bible says you should know those that labor among you, is we kind of know a little bit about each other. We may know some of our past struggles. We may know some of our past failures. And, and really, we should, because that's part of being in a church. But what happens is when you start to look at this and say what God's Word says about it, what ends up happening is, as I go through this, it's what can happen to you, and it happens to me, is, God, I failed there. I missed it there. I've been divorced. I feel like my children are away from God. I feel like that's my fault. And you start to feel condemned and belittled. And, and Pastor Don uses a, a statement a lot that I'll use here. We don't want you to be able to put your hat on your head after this service and walk under the door because you feel so condemned. Because all these things, we all fail. We all have things. If we could do different, we would do differently. And the cultural battle swirls around these things. As a matter of fact, um, a couple, it's been more than a couple weeks ago, Sister Christy West, she, she put on her Facebook page, she said, um, name the lyrics to a song that describe your marriage or something like that, Sister Christy. I don't know if you remember. And everybody was putting out all these romantic lyrics and all. So I thought I'd put mine up there. Mine was... A hard-headed woman and a soft-hearted man been the cause of problems ever since the world began. (laughs) Now, that's a true statement. 
Because the reality of it is many of these biblical issues that we dealt with, they're not new. Because the writer of that song, now I, I knew it when Elvis Presley sang it, date myself a little bit, but you know, he used biblical characters. He said, I heard about a king who was doing swell until he started playing with that evil Jezebel. Samson told Delilah loud and clear, keep it cotton picking fingers out my curly hair. And that's just a couple examples. We could look at King David. King David failed big time in a sexual issue. And, and it goes on and on and on. And then in the New Testament, much of what Paul wrote to was, was churches that were steeped in cultures that had pagan ideas as it related to sexuality. And so this is not new. It's just recycled. The devil doesn't have anything new. He just recycles it. But as I go through this, as I start this, before I start this, now I don't have these scriptures written down because I think if I gave Sister Christie one more scripture, I think that there might have been a mutiny back there in the back of that sound booth. And I, I'm thankful for her and Tammy and those. It gets stressful back there. You know, I, I've said before, the things that go on on Sunday morning that you enjoy and hopefully you're blessed over, a lot of work goes back on behind the scenes to make those things happen. And so I, I want to thank her for, for what she's done, getting these scriptures in and but I've got four scriptures here, and I, I, I noticed that most of the pens are gone out of the back of the seat. So that's fine. If you, if you can get a pen, fine. If not, I just want you to burn these scriptures into your head. And as I go through this series, when you feel attacked or you feel, be, or you feel condemned and you're like, Larry, I've missed it here. I've, I just don't feel, I just feel bad about myself because of this standard that I clearly haven't kept. But I, I want to give you three scriptures, and I want these to absorb into you. And I want you to let these waves of grace flow over you as I go through this. First, Romans 3, 23. We have all sinned, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not a perfect person in this church, especially me. We, have all, we all have things we regret. We all have things if we could do over, we do different. If you feel that way, we all feel that way. We may not verbalize it as much, but that's a fact. Next, to me, one of the greatest scriptures... In the New Testament, is, is Romans 8 and 1. And it comes after the end of Romans 8 and um, 7. It comes at the end of Romans 7, then it goes into 8. And Paul describes this very sin struggle where he's failed, the Apostle Paul. But then right in Romans 8, 1, he says this. There is there now, there is therefore now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. If you've put your trust in Christ, you're not condemned any longer. Don't let Satan condemn you. Don't let him keep it in front of you. When, when David repented, one of the things he said, he said, my sin is constantly before my eyes. And I don't know about you, but sometimes mine is. But put it behind you. Don't condemn yourself. The Scripture says there's no condemnation. If you're walking in the Spirit now according to the Spirit and not according to the old fleshly ways, it's over. Let it go. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Paul talking to the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth had a lot of sexual problems. And this is what he said to them. He said, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, sexual sin, nor idolaters. In some ways, that's what sexual sin is all about. Nor adulterers, sexual sin, or homosexuals, sexual sin, sodomites, sexual sin, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. So he makes that clear. People who practice that, who are involved in that, they won't inherit the kingdom of God. But he says this, 
And such were some of you. Say were. Past tense. He said, look, you used to be that way. Were some of you. But, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That stuff's over. That stuff's behind you. Leave it back there. And then finally, 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says this, Because of all that, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things, all that old stuff has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You let those waves of grace flow over you as I go through this today. Now, I, I will say, I wish that applied to the natural. But it doesn't. All those are spiritual. Because a lot of times the, 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 we reap what we sow. And behind us are, could be broken relationships, broken marriages, kids who are away from God, and all those things can be behind us. But God can also give grace in that. So start where you are, and don't let the devil come to you and say, see, you were a bad mom, you're a bad dad, you've been married two, three times, your kids are from God, away from God, look at this, look at that. Don't let that happen. Let these waves of grace flow over you. With that, let's get started in God's design for the family. Look at the introduction. There are three institutions that have been ordained by God. The family, the church, and the government. And without a doubt, Satan has worked overtime on the family. God created and established that family before he did the church and before he did the government. God's design of one man and one woman is still the standard for a healthy, stable home for raising children and for a stable society. And would you agree with me that our society right now is not very stable? I watch what's going on sometime in our cities and I see the carnage. I see the violence on the increase. And I see the perpetrators getting younger and younger. I just saw, I think it was either in Chicago or New York, they're having an epidemic of carjackings. And they're 13 and 14 years old. However, we have watched the breakdown exponentially. That means very fast over the last few decades. And we now have children running the home rather than the parents. We got children that run the home. We got parents who are afraid of their kids. The lack of respect for parental authority has now spilled over into our schools and the streets where we expect teachers and police officers to clean up the mess that has been made. That was my writings. That's my statement. I've lived that. I think that's true. Talk to Sister Christy Britt. She will tell you about teachers that walk the halls, afraid of the students. I will tell you that those kids out there in the streets sometimes can be very violent. And it started in the breakdown of God's design for the family. That's where it started. And the further we move away from that, the worse it's going to get. I can't tell you how many meetings I sat in where we're trying to deal with crime, particularly youth crime, and there's, they want to put money into it and programs into it. And I'm not opposed to that. I think that's good. But I thought just once, can you imagine what would happen if our society said, let's pour everything we have into coming together and say, let's make the family back what it's intended to be. A man and a woman and their kids under the authority of the parents and discipline and loving their children and bringing their children up and teaching them right and wrong, teaching them biblical teachings. Oh, no, you can't say that. And we understand why. Sister Christie is going to put up an image here. Uh, I'm going to ask her to keep it up for a little bit, and she'll take it down with the Scripture, and then if she can put it back up, that's fine. So this, this is the 
This is the design. This is the umbrella for the family. It's Christ, which is ahead of us all. Husband, the wife, and the children. The husband to protect the family, lead the family, and provide for the family. The wife to comfort, to teach, and to nurture. The children to love the parents and obey the parents. That's God's design. That's the way he intended it. So let's take a look at that biblical family. First, it is a man and a woman. Look at Genesis 2 and 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Genesis 5 and 2 says he created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. Right there, Genesis solves to me this cultural debate about what marriage is. Marriage is between a man and a woman. That scripture right there solves the debate about this gender fluidity, that there's multiple genders. It says God created them what? Male and female. I mean, I know that you can go over to Apple now and they've got an emoji of a pregnant man now, but that doesn't make any sense. That, that's to me is where it goes to. Where does that end? I'm, I mean, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I'm certainly not a biologist. But a man can't get pregnant. It can't. A man can't get pregnant. And it's probably a good thing because if we could, it would probably, the population would greatly decrease. Because I've seen what they go through to have them babies. And us men would be like, no, sir, I'm not doing that. But we can't. That's, that's, God created us that way. And people will say, well, look, if it, that's the way it is, why didn't Jesus talk about it? Why didn't Jesus say this? I don't know if you've ever heard that before. Well, look at Matthew 19, 4 through 6. This is Jesus talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Once again, they're trying to trip him up. And they're talking about marriage. They're talking about divorce. And they want to know, is it okay to divorce? Is it okay to divorce because Moses gave a certificate of divorce? And this is what Jesus said. And he answers and said to them, Have you not read that those who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife? And the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. So he affirmed the creation account of a man and a woman in marriage and a man and male and female. He affirmed all that. But he added something to that. He added, he said, therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And we, see, we hear that a lot in, in marriages and weddings about divorce. But it applies to all these things. What did God join together? He joined together a man and a female, a man and a woman. He said, don't anyone's not to separate that. But don't get caught up in these fusses and fights over it, church. People will draw you in. That's the thing I hate about social media. People get on there and they just beat the tar out of each other. And there's no grace. And a conversation might start out okay. And the next thing you know, somebody jumps in and they start. And then the next thing you know, it goes downhill from there. Because I know people who live outside of these boundaries. But they're my friends and they will always be my friends. I hope to have an influence on them. But I'm glad I live in a nation where people can live as they choose to live. But I think the definitions matter. Okay? I don't want to pull back from these folks. I don't want them to hate me because I believe biblical values. If they do, that's their problem, not mine. 
But let them attack the Bible. I heard um, Larry King interviewed Billy Graham several years ago, and he was talking about some of the, these issues front and center. But he was talking about some of the culture issues of that day. And he would, he would say to Billy Graham, he'd say, so you believe or you think? And Billy Graham would say, well, it ain't really what I think. I believe the Bible. And that's what we need to do. I believe the Bible. And the Bible says, and they may not like it, but it's sometimes for some people it's a little harder to attack God's Word than it is to attack you personally. But we just, we just, we can't throw this out. Because if we do, we see what we get. We see what we get. So what are the roles? First is the man as the spiritual covering priest of the home. And it's about responsibility, church. When we use the word submission in a minute, and I know sometimes when the word submission is used and those outside, that people's hair catches on fire. But it's not about control. It's not about those things. It's about responsibility. Ephesians 5 and 23 says this, For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. And then verse 25 of Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That's the type of love the husband should have for his wife, to give himself for her. So husbands ought to love their own wives as they love their own bodies. And some of you guys, me too, I'm in the gym quite a bit. I, I don't know that I love my body, but I take care of it. I'm supposed to at least that much take care of my wife, according to the scriptures. But it is not about control. It is about responsibility and leading our families well. And gentlemen, that is where, it has, where it's failed. The men of our culture have not done their jobs. We have 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds, sometimes even 50-year-olds acting like they're 18. Sometimes it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. Next, wife as an equal, look what I got there, wife as an equal helpmate in submission to godly leadership of the husband. An equal helpmate with different roles. Like I said, sometimes you use the word submission, people just lose their mind. But that's because they don't understand this. They've never experienced this. If you've ever lived in a, or functioned, and I know many of you have in a marriage like this, there's joy in it, there's peace in it, there's comfort in it. It's not about, I, look, y'all know me pretty well. I've been in this church a long time. You know Tammy pretty well. If I walked home today and I said, I'm the man of this house, woman, and you're going to do what I say do, well, I'd probably have a black eye. And I'd probably deserve a black eye. I would never do that. I would never do that because I love my wife. But at some point, I'm responsible for being the leader of that home. I have to set that tone. And I, I've, I've seen the statistic before, and I didn't take time to look it up. Like I said, I'm just going to scratch the surface here. This could be a multi-series teaching here. But the statistic of the family coming to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ is astronomically higher when the, when the father comes to the Lord than it is when the mother. And that's because it's God's design. That's because it's your responsibility, men. It's my responsibility to lead our children, to teach them about the Lord. It says about wives, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, let 
So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And I could sit here and try to explain that to you, but you have to experience it. You have to know what it means. And, and for those of you who've lived in a household like this, you know exactly what it means. My wife is an equal helpmate to me. She's smarter than I am in some things. She's a better businesswoman than I am in some things. I have asked her her advice often on things. Even when I was in the police department, I'd ask her advice on things. So this idea of what take people do, they take the out there when they want to criticize biblical principles, they go right to the extreme. Submission. Oh, so you want a damn want a woman just to be at your beck and call and come home and be like the 70s and you worked off. No. They're just trying to attack the principle because they've never experienced it. But you get outside of this, you get a man that's not leading well or you get a woman that won't submit. When I say that to a husband that's trying to lead godly, things are not going to go well. And we have this all messed up today. Next, children seen as a blessing. Psalm 127 and 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Children are seen as a blessing. I think so many times I've seen people that I know, they have children, and nothing changes in their life. When you have children, they become your responsibility. They become your ministry field. That's the most important ministry field you will have is those children. And, and not to pawn them here and pawn them there and keep living, keep doing everything you were doing before, before you had children. How many of you know things change drastically? And they should. You should still enjoy life. You should still make time for yourself. You should still make time for you and your wife. But those children should become your priority because they're a blessing from the Lord. And they're not a hindrance. Next, children honoring and submitting to parental authority and to discipline. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. We'll deal with this more later. That it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers... You fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. That's our jobs. Don't, but he says there, don't provoke them to wrath. I will tell you something, church. We live in an angry culture. Men are angry. You don't believe it? Ride on the road for a little while. I pretty much ride. I keep my eyes on the road. I've been given the, 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 the finger wave more than once. I just ignore it. People are angry. Politics is making people angry. The divide of our culture is making people angry. People are angry. Don't be an angry man. Don't be an angry man in your home. You will pass that along to your children. And there's a lot of ways we do that. We do that by comparison, trying to compare them. We do it by unrealistic expectations. Especially, dads, when it comes to faith. Don't put ex uh, unrealistic expectations on your children. Legalism will run your children away from the Lord faster than anything. Bring them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Pastor and I were at a conference at Kings Park Church several years ago, and John Maxwell was there. John Maxwell is a very prolific leadership, Christian leadership writer, written a lot of books about leadership. And I went up to him, and I asked him, I said, if, I had, if you had one book to recommend for my child to read, what would it be? He said, Failing Forward. Failing forward. He said it teaches and talks to you about when your children fail, when they make a mistake, how to recover from it, how to learn from it. 
aren't you glad that we serve a God like that? And I see sometimes dads put expectations on their children that God don't even put on us. And it will drive them to be angry. But don't provoke them to wrath, but bring them up in the fear and the training and admonition of the Lord. Have you ever had, dads, I've had to do this a few times. I don't like it because I feel like, look, I'm the father. I shouldn't have to do this. Have you ever apologized to your children? I have because of an outburst or something I did. That's very counter to my fleshly desire because my first instinct is I'm his daddy, but he's going to do what I said do. I might have been wrong in it, but I still got my point across. But it was wrong. And a couple times I had to set him down and say, son, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said it that way. I shouldn't have done it that way. But that's what this is talking about, is we have to admit our own mistakes and our own shortcomings. Because Proverbs 13, 24 says, he who spares the rod hates the son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Children should be disciplined. Children should be disciplined. But how are they disciplined? Promptly when it occurs. How should it, it should be calculated. It shouldn't be a beaten. And it should be followed up with explanation and love. But children today need discipline. Because what we're seeing in our culture today is what happens when children are not disciplined. When they don't understand authority, when they don't respect authority. And I'm here to tell you, if it doesn't start in the home, it's not going to start in the schools. And it's certainly not going to start when they're 18, 19, and 20 years old. They're going to take that same respect for authority. That same ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. I ain't got to do anything I don't want to do. They're going to take it to the schools and they're going to take it to the streets. And then they're going to end up in the prison and we're going to be like, how'd they get here? And the prison's going to discipline them. They're going to lock them away. And we're just seeing that too much. And lastly, God hates divorce. In Malachi 2.16, he said, For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. That verse goes on to say why? Because it's a cloak of violence. It's destruction behind divorce. This was Malachi. He was a prophet. He was talking to the nation of Israel. They had, they had just done away with the covenant of marriage, divorce. They were marrying pagan women. Why does God hate divorce? Because it's destructive. It's destructive to his covenant. It's destructive to the children that's left behind. It's destructive financially. It is very destructive. And he hates it because he don't want to see that for his people. That's why it's so important. If you're here today and you're not married, particularly our young people who are here, the Bible says don't be unequally yoked. You better know a little something about this person before you marry him because it's not going to get any better. Once you get married, it's going to get worse. You see, it is. And you know what's hard for me when I prepared this message was these principles are timeless. They were for me when I was a young man. But that's not, I wasn't, and I was raised in church, but when I was out dating, I wasn't like, well, let me, let me find me a woman who knows about the Lord and, her, you know, and she loves God and she's, she was raised in a good godly. I, I, I wasn't. I met Tammy. She was a pretty woman. I liked her. We got along good. And so, but what I is, I thank God. And that's why, parents, it's important that you pray. Because God can direct your children to somewhere and someone that they can share their life with. And, you know, Colin and Madison, it's, I've never seen a situation where I could see the hand of God directing him to her, to who, where she, who he would marry. He was at NC State, and he was looking for a crew, which is a, a, a Bible, a, a campus ministry with the Baptist. 
and he's walking through the campus and he sees these young men studying and he says, look, are you guys crew? It's only a handful of them. They said, no, we're Chi Alpha. We are a Christian ministry also. It's the Assemblies of God Christian ministry and you're welcome to join us. He joined them. He got plugged into there. He, he became a leader there and he met Madison there. And that's where he got married and now he's in Africa serving God. God directed his steps and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. And maybe that hadn't been your story. But let the waves of grace roll over you and know that it doesn't have to be your story. But let's, let's don't, you ever heard this, let's don't throw out the baby with the bathwater? Let's don't, let's don't, that doesn't mean we say, well, God's got it wrong. He didn't get it wrong. He's never gotten it wrong. Okay, so that's the biblical family. What are the responsibilities of it? First is intimacy within the monogamous marriage. Exodus 20 and 14 says, you shall not commit adultery. But I told you that Jesus said he would come in on the scene and he'd say, but you've heard it written or you've heard it said, but I say to you. And this is what Jesus said about that. You've heard it said that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, it's mighty quiet in here. And I won't speak for the women, but I can speak for the men. And that's, well, I'll just leave that right there. I can't imagine too many men that probably have not struggled with that, had to repent of that. But Jesus said this is not just an off-the-tablet issue. This is a heart issue. And you better, like uh, Job said, make a covenant with them eyes. And it's hard today, men. It's a lot harder for those young men sitting back there on that back than it was for me. I have a friend in the police department that worked in the schools as a school resource officer. His name is Mark Walco. And I asked him when I was still there, and he was telling me some of the things he's seeing in the elementary schools. What kids are looking at and doing in the bathrooms. I'm like, Mark, these kids are elementary school kids. I said, where are they? Where are they? Right here. Parents, you better get a handle on this. Grandparents, you better get a handle on this. There better be some strict boundaries. Satan will use this to destroy your children. And do you know this? I, I read a study that said anything that is of an addictive substance, whether it's alcohol, drugs, and pornography is, is an addiction. Anything of an addictive substance that's introduced to a mind of 14 years or younger, the chances that they become addicted to that are astronomical. So you better guard those hearts and minds of those kids when they're young against that. And it is an epidemic. Pornography has become an epidemic in our nation. Study after study has shown that many pastors struggle with it. How do you deal with it? First, accountability. First, put practical things in and then put practical things in place. Yes, pray. Come down. Let the men pray over you. Let us encourage you. Be honest. We've got a couple men in this church that has been brutally honest and it was refreshing because we don't do that. They've been brutally honest about what they struggle with. Jesus said that. There was a book um, in what was the old prayer room several years ago, and I was flipping through that book. The name of the book was Why Good Men Are Tempted. I was just flipping through it. I was here on a weekday, and I read something in that book I never forgot, and I found it to be true in my own life, and I think it's very true. And this guy said this. There's a scripture that says that the carnal mind is hostile to God. That means the things that are in your mind that are fleshly are hostile to the things of God. 
And he said, there comes a point, men, that I don't care how saved you are, how filled with the Holy Ghost you are, how much you tongue talk, it doesn't matter. You get yourself to a certain point, and that carnal mind is going to become so hostile to the things of God that you're just going to completely dismiss it. And you're going to find yourself in a situation that you are not going to be able to handle, and you're going to be in a bad way. See, we like to come in, well, pray for me, pray this, pray that, and we will, and we believe in that. But you have to make some practical choices in this thing. Kind of like Joseph. That, you know, as far as I can tell, that's the only sin that they said to flee from. Joseph, the Bible said Joseph was a good-looking guy. He was tall, he was nice-looking, and he was in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife came to Joseph and said, come with me, come lie with me. Joseph said, i got to get out of here. And the Bible says she took hold to his coat, and he pulled out of his coat. i got to go from here. It says flee sexual immorality. Because I think if Joseph had said, well, we'll go on in and have a conversation. We'll, we'll just talk about it. What would have happened? Same thing that happened to David. David's a king. He's got, the whole, he's got power. He's got money. He's got everything. He's got the tiger by the tail. But it's one thing he don't have. He's on top of his castle, and he looks over, and there's Bathsheba. He's got all the women he can want, but there's Bathsheba, another man's wife. And rather than David looking over there and saying, hmm, I better get off this roof, he said, bring her on over here and let's have a conversation. I just want to talk to her. Well, you know the story. And David's life was full of carnage after that. His family was a mess. Now, God called him a man after his own heart because he had a repentant heart. But the carnage behind him, rape within his family, a child that died, all kinds of natural consequences to that sin. Paul separates out this sin. He says every other sin is done outside the body. Sexual sin is done within the body. There's something different about it. And it controls a lot of people's lives. And we have to put boundaries in place, myself included. I'm vulnerable to this. I'm very vulnerable to this. And I, but I recognize it. And the next responsibility of a, of a biblical marriage, populate and create, populate to create and continue the family heritage. Genesis 1.28 says, Then God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. I'll stop there. Well, someone said, This is one command that we have no problems keeping. But that is part of the purpose of the marriage is to continue the human race. It's also a, to pass the faith on to the next generation. Now, I have said this before. Pastor, like I said, Pastor uses word, makes his britches leg roll up. I think that's a good, good statement. Every time I hear, and I, I know they mean well when they say it, well, where we went wrong is when we took prayer out of the schools. That drives me insane, church. I just don't like to hear that. It was never the school's responsibility to train my children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Never their responsibility. But we left it to them, and now look at the mess we have. It was the family's responsibility. Look, look at Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your home, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Basically, what that's saying is, look, when you do life with your children, you're to train them. You're to do what Paul said when he wrote to Ephesians. Bring them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Use life to do it. 
Yeah, you can sit down and do the Bible studies. Can I tell you, I didn't do that very well. And I stand here before you, and I've said this before, wondering how did my kids turn out so well because I don't feel like I really nurtured them as well as I should have. How did I get a son who God called to the mission field? And another one that loves God and has a great I don't know. God did it, and I'm thankful for it. But it's not. We had, um, we had Dr. Mubenga at Durham Ministers in Prayer this past Tuesday. And uh, he's the school superintendent in Durham. And, and we really like him. And he's a, I think he's a real believer and a, and a great guy. And he, he listened to us, and we talked to him. And, you know, I asked him, I said, Dr. Mubenga, what's the biggest issue facing our schools today? He said, look, the same things that you see out there in the streets that these kids are doing out there, they're bringing into the schools, and we know that. Drugs, sexuality, all these things we just talked about. But he said this. Just somebody said, well, what can the church do? And he did say mentor. That's why I thank God for guys like Chip and TJ and these others who are working with our guys coming in on Wednesday nights. It's important. The church needs to mentor. If you've never thought about that, there's mentoring organizations. Think about that. Maybe you have some time for that. I don't know. But he said this. But he said, here's something else the church can do. So I'm going to... I'm going to obey his request this morning. He said, you can use your pulpit to tell people that the children are their responsibility, not the school's. That's what he said. I was like, well, I'll be, I'm preaching this Sunday. I'd be glad to do that. Your kids are your responsibility, not the school's. They're not the church's. They're ours. They're ours. And how well are we doing to that, with that? You know, I, uh, we had lunch last Sunday after church with Brother um, Michael and Sister Christy. And they said this, they said, you know, when we go out as a family, um, people just come up and, and I imagine Brent, you and Emory probably get this. They come up and we go out as a family and like, oh, what a beautiful family. And people just go, they said, it's, it's not like, it's like they've never seen it before. The last U.S. Census said that of 130 million households, only 17.8%, less than 18% include married couples with kids under 18. So they don't see it. They don't see it. I was sharing this. Uh, there's a Christian buddy of mine that still works on, on the police department. He's a, he's, a, he's a black male. Got a wonderful family. And I was sharing this with him. He said, he said Larry, you ought to see it when it's, a, when it's a black family. He said, and we go out and we pray. He said, people look at us like they've seen a unicorn. Because they don't see it. Because we've decided, the culture has decided it's not important. It is important. It should be a place of spiritual, physical, and financial security. 1 Timothy 5.8 But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The home should be a place of spiritual, physical, and financial security. It's a place of safety for our children. It should be. But so many times it's not become that. I took a many of a young man home after he'd gotten in trouble. Most of the times, a lot of times, I'd take him to a grandma's house. Or I'd take him into a home and I'd walk in that home and it's, there was no love there. There's no security there. There's no safety there. But this is God's design. And it is within that design. So the first commandment that we discussed was honoring our parents. And this whole thing is the way it should be cyclical. It should start out with us as parents raising our children, giving them discipline, teaching them about authority. And then what happens, guess what, folks? We're going to get old. I'm getting old. 
And then the cycle, what the cycle is, is those parents come in, those children come in, they've been taught, and then they honor those parents. And we'll see how that is supposed to work. Honor, how to honor your parents. Look, honor is due regardless of the worthiness of the parent. Once again, people will go right to the extreme. They'll say, well, am I supposed to honor my dad if he beat me and abused me and abused my mom? I think there can be forgiveness there. I'm not going to even go there because I've never been there. I've dealt with people in there in, in situations like that. No, you shouldn't stay in a situation like that. Men have no business putting their hands on a woman, on their children. You're violating everything of God's command. You're violating everything we know that is right. But you, you may not have had a great dad. You may not have had a great mother. But at some point, you have to be willing to understand and still know that you have to honor them. Honor is given in obedience. Proverbs 1 and 8. My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. And 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 2 says, but know this. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, it was Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, and we're not going to go through that again. It says to obey your parents. Man, it says when you pay your parents, it says that, you, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And I know sometimes we look at that and think that's a specific promise. Okay, if I'll honor my parents, I'm going to live long on the earth. I'm not going to die young. That's not what that means. Alistair Begg says this. It says, the promise given for obedience is this. Citizens who are taught to obey God by honoring their parents will grow up to be responsible citizens, and responsible citizens make for a strong nation, which in turn helps to provide a context which life can flourish. That's kind of what that flows around. In studying the Old Testament a little bit, let me tell you, they took disobedient children very serious because they knew the impact it could have on the future of their people to the death penalty. If you were disobedient to parents in the Old Testament, you get stoned to death. They take you to the gates, which was the, like the like city hall of today, and if they couldn't straighten you out, they'd stone you. If that started happening, we'd have some kids straighten up. But, but that's how serious they took it because they knew the detriment it would have to their society, the very detriment we see in our society today. A sign of the end times is disobedient children. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 2. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. There is nothing that drives me more crazy than to see a disobedient child. I, I, Tammy, she said when they first come here to, when we first started coming to church here, they asked her about working with the kids and the, you know, the little kids. She's like, look, that's not my calling. She said, I, sometimes I don't even like my own. I can beat them. I can't beat these other people, so I can't do that. <laughs> and I say that tongue in cheek, but there should be discipline. Have you ever been around children that are undisciplined? That, mm. Man, that's, that's tough for me as, as a person and as a dad because I did not allow my children to dishonor me and their mother. And if you will, like Barney said, nip it in the bud the way it should be nipped, then you won't deal with it when they're... Because let me tell you, if you're going to wait to 14, 15, and 16, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be in trouble. Honor is given in speech. 
Children learn to honor, respect, and obey their parents when they see mom and dad honoring one another. When they feel respected, affirmed, and loved by their parents. And when they observe their obedience to God. This commandment to children actually touches us all. Children will learn to be obedient from you. If you're disrespectful and disobedient to your parents, dishonor your parents. If, if, if you dishonor yours, your children will probably dishonor you. It's a cycle. Or, or your, your children's children will probably dishonor them and mistreat them. It is a cycle. M much of this stuff is a cycle. And lastly, honor is given in care as they age. Proverbs 23 and 22 Listen to your father who begot you and do not despise your mother when she is old. This is difficult because we got an aging society. And Tammy and I have dealt with this twice now with her dad. Her dad had Alzheimer's. Many of you met Tammy's dad when he was coming here with us. He lived with us for a while. But I want to say this. As with training my children, taking care of Tammy's daddy was not the government's responsibility. It wasn't the church's responsibility. It was mine and her responsibility. And that gets hard. And I wanted you to give yourself some grace there. We've had to deal with that with my dad. My dad's in an assisted living facility right now. He's getting stronger, and I thank God for that. But it's hard. For those of you who've been caregivers, I don't know that there's anything any harder. And you need to get, forgive yourself. And don't, don't be thinking, oh, I don't want to have to put my father somewhere. There comes a point where you can't do it anymore. That, that happened with us. When Tammy's dad reached the point where he was up and down all night long, and he was, and we were both still working, we just couldn't do it anymore. And so we had to go to a facility. And if you have to do that, you're not dishonoring your parent. You're not. Because I know you're going to do that with love. You're going to try to go see them and do what you can for them. There, there's an encouraging sign in our culture in the real estate industry in that we're seeing more and more multicultural homes being built because we do have an aging population and a lots, lots of people my age are saying, you know, I probably need to build that in-law suite because mom is, her health's failing or dad's health is failing and I want to try to bring him in with us before we have to. And, and, I, and I think that's a blessing. I think God will honor that. A lot of times with Tam's, Tammy's daddy, for me, it was very frustrating. We gave up a lot of our privacy at times, I didn't think I was as kind as I should have been to him. But according to God's word, I think he honors that and he blesses that. I may not see it here, but I'm going to stand before him one day. And that's where all these things are really going to matter. I'm going to stand before him one day and give an account. One of the greatest stories about honoring a father is probably found in the book of Genesis where Joseph has gone on to be the second in command in Egypt. And his brothers are still um, in Israel. There's been a big famine there. And his brothers come. They're looking for grain. They don't realize that Joseph is now second in command and can provide for them. But when he reveals himself, he says this, where's my dad? Go get my dad. Is he still alive? And they found out he was still alive. And so they sent for his dad, Jacob. And the Bible says he came back, and the Bible says Joseph ran and fell on Jacob's neck. And he said he wept, and he wept, and he wept to see his dad. We're not going to have him forever. Some of you visit your parents at a gravesite. I visit my mom at a gravesite. We visit Tammy's mom and dad and Hiram. And I've still got my dad. 
You're not going to have them forever, young people. You need to love them, spend the time with them. What does that look like from generation to generation? It looks like this. For young children, this means obeying your parents. Young people, you should obey your parents. For teenagers, it indicates showing respect for mom and dad, even if you think you know more than they do. And I know some of you teenagers here, you think you know more than your parents. We ain't, we ain't got nothing figured out. Believe me, you don't, and you'll find out one day that you don't, even though you think you do. For young adults, this means including your parents in your life. If your parents are still alive, you're a young adult, include your parents in your life. Don't cut off grandkids from them and things. Some of the things I see, some of the things we saw in, in Tammy's family years ago just amazed me. I'm not speaking to my mom. I'm not speaking to my dad. For, and really for no reason. For young adults, this is me including your parents in your life. And for those in middle age and beyond, it means making sure that parents are cared for as they move into old age or their health declines. And I'll just say on a practical note on that, if you think you're the child that may be responsible for your parents' care, and Tammy and I have thought about doing just a short, for lack of a better term, class on this, you don't want to be behind the eight ball on that. You need to be thinking about things like power of attorney, do they have long-term care insurance? There's just a lot of things that if you have to all of a sudden be caring for an aging parent is going to be very difficult. And things like power of attorney and things like that, and we've been through this a few times now. And so that's just something for you to be thinking about. Well, once again, this is hard because as I've, ta as I've taught through this, even as I prepared it, I'm like, I've missed this in some places. But let those waves of grace flow over you. Let those waves of grace that say, that you're not condemned any longer. And you forgive yourself. If God has forgiven you, you forgive it. And don't let Satan keep it in front of you. But let's hold fast to what God's Word says about what the family should look like. Let's hold fast to it. Let's don't surrender it. Let's don't surrender it because the church down the street says it, ain't, it doesn't apply anymore. It still applies. And let's don't get angry. Let's don't get, let ourselves get angry at people who get angry at us. That's hard. I get it. That's hard. But let's, let's show the compassion and the love. The Bible says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. And you know who he's most graceful to? The sinners. He was most graceful to the sinners. This morning, what I want to do in the altar is a little bit different. I'm going to ask if you're here and you are a young couple and you've got kids under the age of 18, if you'll come and let's stand right here in front of this altar. And the kids, I want you to come with your parents or your dad or your mom, whoever's here, come stand beside them. And if you're just a young person and you're here with someone, Brother Michael's bringing some of our kids in. Pastor, a couple Sundays ago, had our children come up because they're, they're battling things we've never battled before. Now, if you're here and you've got kids that are older than that, I want you guys to come a little bit closer. I want every parent who's here who has kids older than that, you've raised your kids, I want you to come stand behind them. Come stand behind them. Sister Chris, you can start that music if you can kind of have it low.
And I want you to find someone that you can walk up behind, lay your hands on the back of them. This is generational. This is a generational blessing. I told you there can be generational curses, but they can be generational blessings. Everyone else, if you'd like to come and stand behind him, Bobby, y'all come on up just a little bit if you don't mind. And we're just going to pray. And I want you to put your hands on someone in front of you. And I want you to pray for them. If they, these up here that are raising these young kids and these young families, it seems like the whole world system is against them. They're struggling about whether do I put my kids in public schools or not because of what's happening. And they're concerned for their children's spiritual well-being. And if you're here and you're amongst this group and you're like, I've done this all wrong, then you forgive yourself up here and you, you let the waves of grace roll over you and God can restore. He says He can restore the years at the locust seed. He can give beauty for ashes. And you start where you are and start working on restoring your family because God can do that. I'm glad He's a God of second, third, and fourth chances. I needed them. Father, I thank You for this day. Lord, I know these teachings, God of Yours, are ancient but they're still ever true. And I know as I went through it, Lord, there's times that I just, I just had to shudder because I knew I'd missed it in some of these areas. But I let, God, those waves of grace roll over me. And I, I thank you, Lord, that you are a God of second and third chances, that you love us, that you gave yourself for us. And I thank you for these young couples here who have their children here in the church. God, the church is ever more important to bring our help, bring our children up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And I pray, Lord God, for the power of the Holy Spirit over their lives. God, may the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost rest in their very home. God, there'll be things that will happen that they don't even know anything about, Lord, but we know that your Spirit it can do what they can't do. It can be where they can't be. And Lord, I join God with every young parent here, every older parent here, and we pray blessings over these homes. God, if there's children who are lost, if there's children who are away from you, God, as these parents pray, and I know that they do, God, they're not, a, they're, they're not forever lost. God, we have the story of the prodigal. And your word says that he came to himself. And I pray, Lord, that as, as we pray here today, if there's parents out there and there's prodigals out there, that even now your spirit will go out and where they are now, they'll come to themselves. And they'll come back. They'll come back to know you. God, that there'll be a restoration in broken homes. That there'll be forgiveness, God, in broken homes. Lord, all that's possible when your Holy Spirit begins to move. And so I lift every one of these families to you, God. And I thank you. I thank you for each family that's represented here. I thank you for each person that's here. I thank you for each young person that's here. God, these children face things that I don't face that I didn't face. And I ask, oh God, that by the power of the Holy Spirit that you guard their hearts and their minds. God, for Chip and TJ and Brent who work with these kids. God, that you help them, that you, as they pray over these kids, if we prayed over some Wednesday night, Lord, that we know that the Spirit goes with them. And God, they might be a shining example in their schools. And that we, God, as parents, once again, will take our rightful place. That we as dads will take our rightful place. God, you've given us a position of authority. 
and we'll exercise it in our homes. God, at first in submission to you, and then in love for our wives, and then as providers in our household. Lord God, and we ask all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you have a great day. Spend some time around the altar chatting if you want to, encouraging each other if you'd like, but you're dismissed.